It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. Uh, I am actually here with Al Bott. Uh, from the district arts and education, and it's uh, it's been good to to uh, kind of interact with uh, Al over this past year. We uh, got involved a little bit in a project that I was doing with Sacred Heart and uh, TechStars, and uh, it's been great to uh, to kind of continue the conversation. So thank you for uh, for joining us, Al. Thank you, Eric. I uh, uh, always, you know, uh, as I said to you before we started, I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a bit of a conversation addict. So uh, always happy to be in conversation with, with, with folks I respect and, and who also, uh, uh, you know, kind of like to engage in conversation. Exactly. And uh, yeah. it's always good to uh, thirst in the ecosystem to, uh, to, to have these conversations. So, um, so, Hey, Al, I just want to kind of kick this conversation off. Is like, how are you doing? I mean, we, we just had a crazy year of 2020, uh, you know, 2021 is uh, started off uh, Kind of fast paced, uh, I guess, uh, than we were all uh, expecting. I guess. How you doing? How, how, how you doing? So, somebody asked me that last week, knowing you know the the, the degree to which I, um, I don't know, have social engagement and political engagement, and uh, um, my response was, and it was for the for the entirety of the week. I think I am a ball of white hot rage. Uh, covered in a candy coating of professionalism. And so, you know, I deal with students and, and, and fun, I had funder meetings on Friday. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned to you, I had four different speaking events um, uh, between the middle of last week and over the weekend. And so, you know, candy coating of professionalism and, and underneath a just a ball of rage at, um, I don't want to hijack this conversation. I'll just give you the headline of, of kind of my take on it, and then we can go wherever you want to go. But but uh, uh, rage at at um, the ongoing inability of our leaders to understand whether it is misogynistic behavior in a fifty-person company or uh, the kind of behavior that we've seen nationally. The, the, the inability and unwillingness of our leadership at micro and macro levels to um, get ahead of issues instead of um, you know, making symbolic gestures after the issue. The event itself last week was troubling enough, um, but the response from all corners, including business, uh, was really, really infuriating. So 
but 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 I'm good. <laughs> and and so it's uh you know coming off of 2020, you know, I think we were all uh I mean, I know I had one of the you know most difficult years of my life, uh, just like everybody else. Um, and it is in a from an entrepreneurial entrepreneur's perspective, from a startup ecosystem perspective, you're you're always tending to always you're supposed to be always optimistic, right? And always like you know looking at the glass half full and so forth. And um, I think you're I think what you're saying about having a little rage underneath like uh, you know some professionalism. I think a lot of people are are dealing with that right now, um, and it's one of those things where I think that. Uh, people are trying to understand um, when to bring the rage out and when to be, be professional. Um, and so uh, I think we're all uh, in the same boat there. Uh, I think it, it was definitely definitely a troubling sight to see last week. Um, mm. it, it is it is uh, infuriating to, to kind of know that, uh, you know, uh, us as the U.S., are, we're not being looked up to anymore, right? Uh, and, and kind of, uh, and so forth. Um, and I, I've been at loss of words. It has been very hard, difficult for me, uh, I, to be quite frank, to, to kind of put it into words. Um, and so uh, I appreciate you kind of uh, just kind of being being honest about where you are in this, uh, you know, uh, at this time. So yeah, you, you so so uh, listen. Uh, do, do you mind if we riff on this just a couple of minutes more? I mean, this is, this is all part of it because we okay. is, if we're looking forward to the future, right? And yeah. You know, we have to kind of address what's what's happening right now. So yeah. So 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 here's here's the 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 coherent thought I've been able to form on it. Um, it's it's identical to the incoherent I thought uh, thought I had initially, but but I just you know am now coherent about it versus just pure emotion. Um, so I came to this country as an immigrant, right? I think you know this story. Uh, six years old, seven years old with my mother, eight bucks in our pocket because that's all the U.S. tender you were allowed to bring back then. Uh, landed in New Haven um, and had, I mean, we are like the encapsulation of the American dream. You know, mom worked in a factory down here. She didn't speak English. Uh, my father worked three jobs. Um did the whole thing, you know? And when we first landed here, uh, uh, we, you know, again, eight bucks in our pocket, right? We lived in low-income housing, all the faces I saw, and we, we landed in June, uh, so before school started. Uh, and so all the faces I saw the first two, three months I was here were black faces, that, like that's who was there. Uh, and so I thought, yeah, you know, this is America. Um, and, then, and then grew up, you know, just with, 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 with friends early on, uh, but, 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 you know, I knew even then intuitively, and then certainly growing up and as an adult that, that man, this place was so far from perfected, like so far from perfected, but at its core, it had a compass point. It had an aspiration that despite it's constantly falling down and achieving that aspiration, still believed in that aspiration. For me last week, it's the first time in my life as an American where, where I, I, I questioned whether we actually have that aspiration. That building was built by slaves. That building was literally built by slaves. And I saw a picture of a man with a Confederate flag walking around in it. And I saw no one stopping him in any meaningful way. And then in the days that followed, I heard polite out, what I would call polite outrage from, from, from the corporate sectors and political sectors, I saw the kind of, um, oh my goodness, isn't this terrible nonsense that we get when uh, there are you know, uh, sexual abuse scandals, when there are the endless, countless uh, 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 acts of violence against black bodies in this country. Um, and, and all of those I you know, uh, could somehow understand because they are, at a, uh, 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 there are manifestations of how we are imperfected towards the vision, but last week's was, oh my goodness, is the vision itself imperfected and therefore invalid? And that, that's what I continue to sit with because uh, I, I, I am not, I, if, you're, if you're in an organization, how do you trust that your executives will prevent you from being sexually harassed or racially discriminated against? How, how, how do you not feel that what they're going to do is to let the nonsense happen and then afterwards come out and say, my goodness, this was nonsense. Oh, this is terrible. Right. I, because that's what they did. That's what politicians and corporate leaders, you know, all these organizations stepping out and saying, we, this has to stop. No kidding. Can I swear on this thing? You're, you're no shit. Show, yeah. It has to stop. No shit. Where were you? Where were you? 
You know, Trump got elected. I didn't vote for him, but he got elected fairly. That is what it is, right? So that's fine. He is entitled to make policy. He's entitled to do all these things. I, I have no qualms with that. I disagree with a lot of it. Um, a couple of things I actually agreed with, but for the most part disagreed with. And I have no qualms with that. But 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 the the race baiting and the white supremacist uh, uh, um, enabling, where were these people? And then how do we trust them with our lives and our bodies and our, our careers and our safety in the workplaces and, and in, in, in towns and in schools when they cannot be relied on to do anything other than what they've always done, which is show up after the fact and make self-congratulatory gestures. All right, that's my rant. <laughs> We can we can we can go to tech stuff now. No, no, and no, I think this this is important because I mean it's it's one of those things where um, on the path to becoming uh, the best version of ourselves to to live up to to who we can become as a nation and kind of what what you kind of alluded to of kind of like the aspiration of even though we keep on falling we get back up to to be that better person to be that better country, um, and we need to talk about it. And also, it's one of those things where. It's, it, while it's difficult to think about, now is the time to, again, dig in to make sure the change happens, make sure yeah. things kind of move into that direction. And it's, it's uh, one of those periods where I think there's a lot of people, as, as you're kind of getting to, that are overwhelmed, that are enraged, that have this emotional kind of, you know, uh, reaction to every single day. Uh, and we have to kind of uh, address it so we can say, okay, what are the, what are the problems? What are the solutions that we're going to put into, put into place and how are we going to come together as communities to solve it? Right. It doesn't happen overnight. It, you know, and, and it's very uh, frustrating because things, you know, in this time of um, wanting things to happen right away, it doesn't happen. It takes time. It takes consistent effort. Right. Um, so, I mean, I mean, no, it, it, it has to be talked about. Um, so, I mean, be, be fine with it. I mean, because that's that's what we're here to do. We're, we're here to talk about the reality of the of the situation. And so yeah. I guess, you know, like, I guess, tell us like a little bit about how you got to district arts and education, because like, sure. you've been, you, like, you've been on this path for a while to be in this position where you can actually affect change, where you can actually do things within an organization to actually bring about the change that you're you're just talking about. So how did you get to discharge education? And I guess, you know, like, how did you manifest that? Because I've, I've seen a few, uh, a few Instagram uh, uh, posts from you about how I, I said, I said I was going to do this, you know, five years ago or so forth. And somehow David Salinas came in the picture. I met this person, met that person. And guess what? We're here now. So yeah. just tell us a little bit about that. And then we can kind of, you know, get back to how are we going to solve the solutions today? Sure. So, so uh, um, to answer that question properly, indulge me in just a couple of minutes of, of kind of background on, on what I was doing previously. Right? So, uh, I, I mean, listen, I, I um, my undergrad education was in music and Chinese philosophy, right? Um, I actually, ironically, I, I wrote a piece of code to manage this, this project we had. Um, we were doing a sound library, digital sound library. Another student and I started this little business in the late 80s. And, and I basically created this like really crude version of, 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 of Excel to be able to catalog all of these, I mean, really crude, right? But, but, but it did the job to catalog all these sound files. And um, I was working part-time for a, uh, a publishing firm and um, somewhere it came up and they're like, oh, interesting, can we see it? Can we have it? Do you want to come work for us in a more elevated capacity? And I got, and that's literally how I got into business, right? So, so the point is, I've always been interested in um, human beings, uh, how they make meaning, how they navigate the world, um, how they seem to just consistently create the problems that they then spend their lives trying to, you know, fix, personally as well as you know, systemically. Um, and then you know, in organization, you could you could actually work on those kind of things through disciplines of organizational development and organizational psychology and all that. So I spent 25 years uh, uh, you know, jumping ahead, you know, a couple of different businesses, consultancies. So I spent 25 years working with large systems and um, funded startups on uh, creating what we call breakthrough. So um, a breakthrough has, for, for us has four criteria. A, it's fundamentally impossible, uh, not hard, not difficult fundamentally impossible within the current reality of your industry or your organization. Uh, B, it is bigger than your own self-interest. Uh, it includes your self-interest, but inherently, if you achieve this, uh, it will have an impact beyond you uh, in your industry, in your community, whatever it might be. Um, the third element is that it will outlive you. 
that uh, you fundamentally won't be able to hold on to it. There might be pieces you can hold on in a patent, but but fundamentally, if you achieve this breakthrough, you can't hold on to it. And uh, ultimately, you might not even get credit for it uh, over time, at least. And then fourth, it makes your heart sing. Um, it is not a just good idea. It is uh, something that, that you, uh, in the middle of lunch, can't stop thinking about. In the middle of watching a great movie, you see something and it brings you back to the thought of this, you know, and so, you know, worked in Europe, North America, a lot of large organizations, very large organizations at fairly senior levels, uh, tech companies, startups. Um, and so the point is th this idea of, you know, this, this work around systems change, it's just what I did for a living, right? But it was Trojan horse work. So we would deliver on breakthrough, right? We would help you absolutely spend two years with us uh, and, and we will help you create a breakthrough. But um, that was the horse. And what was inside the horse, uh, what I was actually interested in, was um, cultivating human beings' relationship to themselves and each other in a way that made impossible possible. Right? So we were, doing, you know, we were doing remedial humanity work for uh, 50 and 60-year-old white men in corporate America is, is a way to think about 25 years. Uh, and we developed a master. My, actually, my colleague, Mel Toomey, developed the first version of the masters in organizational leadership. Um, and then uh, over the last decade, we've kind of revised it, uh, put some other things in, um, but, but we continue to run this, this, this degree program that kind of educates. So throughout that time, um, I, I had a big interest in education on the corporate side and then started to get an interest in education, got interested in, in, in developing uh, others in the work, started, uh, got on the faculty at UNH in the grad psych program, started teaching um, this kind of covert class uh, uh, that was all of our work that had nothing to do with organizational psychology. Um, as we called it, you know, the psychology of opinion change, but really what I was doing is, is uh, working with these young people on um, how to cultivate deep relationship with themselves and others, and then how to develop others in cultivating relationships with themselves, right? So, so the education part was always a big thing for me. Um, the nonprofit pro bono has had a you know target of at least 20, 20, 25% of my time going to pro bono work in communities of young people who are just kind of starting out and looking to uh, have a you know, impact on the world, uh, make a dent uh, in a way that meet, met those four criteria. And um, six years ago, so here's now, now, now I'm finally getting to the answer to your question. About, uh, uh, actually eight years ago, um, I was asked to teach at the Chicago Theological Seminary, a year long program in leadership. Uh, two, so two classes, basically, uh, over the course of two semesters for ministry students. And so we took our, you know, kind of work uh, that we did with corporate and this master's program run and kind of modified it um, and ran a year long thing with, with, with folks who are going into ministry and wanted to work on social transformation when they got out versus traditional ministry. And no pun intended, I got religion that, holy crap, how did I miss this? All this work that, we, that we've been doing and we know how to do. Um, need not just be about, you know, how do we make better razors? How do we transform the credit card industry? How do we, whatever, right? That the exact same mindsets and tools apply to social change. So that's when I started thinking, okay, I got to get out of the business I'm in, right? So that was eight years ago. And I spent, you know, three years kind of noodling that and what might look like. And I said, okay, I'm getting out of here and I'm going into education and um, full-time. And maybe I'm going back to New Haven since New Haven was good to me. Um, and New Haven has a lot of need. And then I, I, I did what I do as a business model, which is it's all I talked about to everybody. I said, yeah, I'm quitting this thing. And people would laugh at you know, my clients. And like I said, I had pretty big clients at the time, uh, you know, name brands as it were. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm wrapping this up. I'm not sure when, but sometime in the next year or two, I'm wrapping this up, maybe three. Uh, what are you going to do? I'm going to open a school, um, a school, what kind of school? I'm not quite sure yet, but it's going to take all this work and, and, and figure out a way to you know, apply it in a way that, that, that has some social impact. And, but no business plan, no market research, just this is what I'm doing. This is what everybody I could talk to, just what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. And then kind of came down and started looking at real estate down here. And um, is in the middle of that, 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 a, that a mutual friend, Scott Amore, said, you got to meet this guy, David Salinas. Um, I, I think he's got a vision for, for a facility that um, aligns with what, what I think you're, you're maybe wanting to do. I said, oh, it's interesting because I'm not quite sure what I'm wanting to do <laughs> other than I'm wanting to do it. And, and I have a broad intention around it, right? And so I met David and, you know, we immediately hit it off. Uh, he, hadn't, he knew he had to do education. 
he hadn't figured out what education would be within district. And for folks who are listening, don't know district is a, about 110,000 square foot innovation center down here, um, kind of co-working and um, lifestyle facility and, and, you know, all the usual things though done in an unusual way. Um, and the hub of it uh, is, uh, I'm probably biased in saying it's the hub of it. I think the co-working folks would say they're the hub of it, but regardless, the hub of it is uh, District Arts and Education, a nonprofit that um, hosts a couple of schools. So, so, so we decided to kind of get to work. Um, we brought Holbert and David brought Holberton in. Um, so we have the Holberton School here, two-year full-stack um, computer science school, no upfront tuition. And the nature of that school um, and the nature of, of, of the contract those folks wanted to sign, they said they want to keep the brand siloed. And I said, I got it. it. Makes total sense. I'm a business person. I understand. I'm not interested, but we need it. We should do it. And so um, we brought in uh, somebody that you know, I've known for a long time, a really amazing uh, a person who's at uh, Prudential to come in and, and, and run Holberton. And I started just focusing on um, under my U of Next brand, which is what I uh, uh, labeled the other work, uh, the other school. And we started doing pro bono uh, work on leadership development for uh, young people and change agents. And then this past year, things loosened up with Holberton and um, we kind of brought the whole thing together uh, under this broader umbrella of district arts and education. And um, I'm finally gonna shut up. Well, here's the thing too, is that like so many people, when they think about like the next step of their, of their career, the next step of their journey, they, they'd like, I have to plan it all out. I, before I even tell people about it, I need to just have, I need to understand everything uh, that's going to happen uh, on me going uh, on that next step. For you, and I think for, I, I resonate with it, is that sometimes you just need to start talking about what you want to do and trying to get feedback. And then, and, then, and then at some point you make the decision in your head, you're like, that is what's going to happen. And I'm just going to keep going forward with it. And, and it all starts with talking. And yeah. uh, you know, it's kind of very interesting that you did do that. Uh, what was the, what was the, what was the craziest kind of, uh, did somebody really try, did people try to talk you off the ledge from, from going to do that? Or was it just like, sure. Al made his, Al made his mind up. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, anybody who's known me for a long time didn't bother because they know that this is, you know, kind of just, I, I've done stuff like this before. I've, I've dropped out of a really successful business because I damn this doesn't, you know, so what are you going to do next? I don't know another business, but I'm not sure what. Um, it's just it's just a mindset. Have. But 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 it it, it it's not just talking, Eric. It is, um, you know, you know, with the session we did with the uh, uh, tech stars there around kind of art as a reference point. Um, it's not just talking. It's aligning every aspect of your life to the direction, right? So it requires. So it's not that. I designed U of Next and then, you know, the kind of vision for district arts and education. And then I quit, I, I canceled all my client contracts, right? It's not that that was not the case is I stripped away everything. Uh, and it is what an artist does. It is stepping out on the ledge and then stepping off and having a clarity of where the broad territory is. I am committed to landing but not having a parachute and not having a, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's artistic work. That's, that's what an artist does. You, you, you can't plan out, plan out a masterpiece. You can have a lot of rigor that you bring to yourself, how you engage, how you behave, how you spend your time, but you can't plan out a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to go in on that a little bit. Do you consider yourself an artist? That's one of the only, uh, I consider myself, uh, here's the hierarchy. I consider myself a father. I consider myself a human and I consider myself an artist though. That, 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 that's the three self identities in that order. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think all human beings are artists uh, and, and, and we've had 400 years of it getting um, beat out of us, you know, as, as the late great Ken Robinson uh, beautifully phrased um, since the enlightenment, we've been convinced that human, that, that what being human is, is um, above the neck and, and slightly to the left. Right. <laughs> That, that, that we've been convinced that that rational, planned, linear, uh, that that is what it is to be human. I mean, it's nonsense. We forgot we have a body, totally forgot we have a body. And we forgot that we have this engagement with mystery, this engagement with the unknown that is possible for us like it is for no other human being. And the work of art is nothing other than to acknowledge that, we, that it is our birthright to engage with the unknown and, and the ability to step into it. Right. For me, that's, that's, that's a big part of what, what art is. Mm -hmm. 
So one, I, I, uh, I, you know, you identifying as a father, uh, I became a father this year. So I understand how that, mm. becomes the net, the, that, that becomes the, uh, the top. Right. Um, and I, yeah. you know, and, and even in, uh, you know, again, with all the challenges of, of 2020, uh, brought on having a child within a pandemic, being able to spend more like that, like, it, it made it all right. Right. Um, so yeah. I will have to say is that that's why it was the best year of my life. Uh, you know, this past year was becoming a father. Um, and so I, I like that. I like that tiered kind of self-identity. Right. Now, the reason why I asked you about being an artist is that some people would say you're a businessman. Right. And I know I've had the the um, the argument with actual artists. Right. Like painters and musicians uh, that they say that business is not an art form. I disagree with them a little. You know, I've had that. I, I would go the back and forth. What What would you say is is business a, 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 a you know a canvas for for art or or how do you, how do you view art and business? So I think any domain you can look at, whether it's business, biology, uh, guitar playing, has an art, has a science, and has a craft. And so there is a science of business, and it's taught in MBA programs and in good MBA programs, it's taught well. And in a lot of MBA programs, it's not. <laughs> but, but, but what the MBA programs are about are about the science of business. It is about the controllable, predictable aspects of business. Uh, it is why MBA graduates are terrible at innovation, because that's not what the di discipline is about, right? Uh, 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 you know, entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs don't have an MBA. Right. Um, but but that's not a fault. Right. That's not a fault of MBA programs. They're not designed for that. They're designed for the science of business. The master's program that we launched in uh, leadership is one of the first uh, 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 three or four standalone leadership programs in the country 20 years ago. And it is grounded in the premise that leadership is an art form. It, what it is, is it, it's unique self a one time unique self expression of an individual or a collective at this time, in this place, under these conditions, for this individual or group, this is the self-expression, right? And for us, that's what leadership is as distinct from, not better than, not less than, as distinct from management. And so um, in business, the, the, there is, like I outsource the science parts of business. Not, not only do I not disrespect them, I hold them uh, to be extremely valuable. I'm just uninterested. Right. And so I make sure there are people on the staff and everything I've ever done, either on the staff or uh, uh, you know, outsource vendor uh, that are really, really solid on the scientific aspects of business, the things that need to be in a predictable in a state of, pre of predictability and control. And I'm interested in the uh, unique self-expression portions uh, for myself and the people around me. Right. And then there's the craft, which is, you know, comes from just years in the game, whether it's years in the game playing guitar or years in the game of business, you cultivate a craft, a, a, a embodied kinesthetic in your gut uh, engagement with the instrument, whether that instrument is a company or a guitar. Yeah. So I guess how how do you view the kind of uh, collaboration between the artist community the and like the technology or the startup community within within uh, a specific ecosystem? Do you think that they need to work like are they are they cl more closely aligned than we think or or you know how should we view the collaboration between those two? I think that we have uh, um, a fundamentally done a disservice to artists um, in in the kind of mythologies we have around them. Um, and that, that, that have left most of them kind of, you know, broke. Um, we, we, we said that the, you know, that the business side of things kind of isn't for them. And, uh, and, and so they, they kind of wrap themselves in this mythology where making money is selling out. It's nonsense. It's, it's a different part of the discipline, you know, um, and you can outsource their partner on it. But, but the other, the other thing we've done with those mythologies is we've, we've, we've encouraged quote unquote non-artists to believe that that sort of work is frivolous or not for them or, you know, all this nonsense. And so it's part of what the blockages in corporate America and, and in startup context and in schools is um, the access points and reference points that an artist has uh, are, are just, they're, they're, they're inaccessible to, to traditional business people because like that's not, okay, that's frivolous work or that's somebody else's work. And so to answer your question, I think it is absolutely critical um, to bring humanities, to bring arts uh, into an organization, not as entertainment, 
right? Not as entertainment. Uh, I think every organization should have a poet in residence, you know, some version of David White, right? I think every organization should have uh, uh, artists in residence. Again, not to entertain, but to provide a very different access point because that access point is where innovation actually comes from. Mm -hmm. Now, so that that's very interesting to have that kind of perspective within an organization, right? To give a different uh, viewpoint on on the world and uh, and so forth, and even again bringing the art out of the innovation, right? Bring you know you have this hard based code, but what is it? You know how does it interact with the world and and so forth? So I guess you know kind of going back to the our, our uh, beginning of this conversation in the in the idea of this like. Right now, it's uh, we all hope 2021 would have started a lot uh, simpler and a lot more smooth, but it didn't. Um, but it's also kind of one of those things where right now, um, I presume uh, your rage will turn into action, uh, you know, and it would actually turn into to helping bring community together. So I guess let's talk about that a little bit. Like, I know for me, I know uh, I own, uh, I own a company, Trifecta Ecosystems, with a couple of partners. We have a farm in New Britain, Connecticut. And 2020 has really, uh, even more so, opened our eyes about like how we really, truly have to think about how to integrate that farm into the community and how to integrate all that work into the community. So I guess, you know, like how, let's talk a little bit about engaging your community and, and kind of empowering your community. So how do you, like, what are some, what's your go-to? How, how, how are you thinking about uh, kind of uh, enacting um, change agents and, and enacting kind of like uh, people uh, within a community to kind of, again, bring about the future that we want? Yeah. So um, real quickly, I want to address the issue of kind of rage and, and anger. So if you've ever seen, uh, uh, if you're an MCU fan, and if you saw the first Avengers uh, uh, oh, uh, film, yeah, uh, there's, there's a scene where, where Bruce Banner, um, uh, he said, there's a line, he said something like, um, one of the other characters says to him, you know, now might be a good time to get angry. And he says, that's my secret. I'm always angry. I, I, yeah, so, I love that idea. Yeah. So, 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 so my current rage is just a, an acceleration of a, of a low-key anger I've had my whole life around issues like this. And I think anger uh, gets, a, gets a bad rap. Um, MLK was angry. Gandhi was angry. Jesus was angry. They did not act with their anger, but they did act. I'm sorry, they didn't act on their anger, but they acted with their anger. And so those you know, people listening that are angry, man, don't lose it. Um, don't act on it, right? Uh, acting on your anger leads to behaviors that, that um, are, are destructive, uh, but cultivate a, a, a relationship with it and, and let it inform how you move. There's an urgency that it'll bring to the work that I think is, uh, or can be at least useful. So, okay. Um, no, no, so, so, way, so I, I stop there. Thank you for pointing that out is because that's a, that is a valid thing that I don't think is being addressed at this moment. Right. Like we, I kind of go back to the, the pic, I, first of all, I love Pixar movies too. And about how like they bring yeah. in the world stuff, the movie inside yeah. out about how like that, right. I don't think you've seen that, but like inside she has, you know, the different emotions that are, are driving her and, and, and so forth. Yeah. And it's such a big thing where again, and, and I guess that's what I was kind of getting at is that I don't, I've never known you to be an angry person. I haven't certain, you know, like, you know, in, in terms of like, you know, acting out, you've been very professional, but you, but you seem to harness that to make sure that you do act accordingly and you do actually go and, and kind of change your community. So I, I thank you for, for pointing that out because I think that is a, is a valid point that, that people don't get to hear that often. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, uh, um, I, I think it's critical. And I think uh, anger is a very appropriate response to where we are. And I encourage those who are experiencing that to, to hold on to it in a healthy way and, and let it inform their work. And again, not act from it, though, you know, that, 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 that not a lot of value in that. Um, but to go back to your original question. Um, so what I'm trying to do is build an organization here where we are um, doing Trojan horse work, right? So, so we've got these uh, folks who are preparing for tech jobs, right? And uh, in addition to the big deep dive thing we have on um, the tech side, you know, with, with, the, with, the, with the Holberton School and with the, uh, the human technology side with uh, my master's in leadership program, we're introducing um, more entry-level kind of literacy type programs in tech and basic competency type programs in tech, all, all free of charge because there's just such a glaring need in our communities. Um, 
funded by by uh, our, our our friends at Avangrid, uh, Lockheed Martin, and uh, most significantly by uh, uh, NHIC, the New Haven Innovation Collaborative. So I want to give just a shout out to them. They're supporting this new piece of uh, uh, work that we're starting this year to provide free kind of foundational digital literacy and human literacy programs. So, but but all of that and 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 the deep dive programs like Holberton, um, I am trying to design an organization where we could do Trojan horse work. And what I mean by that is. Um, we are putting people into tech careers, right? Uh, who, who are previously may have not have had access because they can't afford school. They didn't think that world was for them, et cetera. But um, as we put them through that curriculum, um, we are uh, uh, just starting now, uh, having established Holberton, just starting now to introduce a parallel cur curriculum to them where they are not only going to be equipped to, you know, go and get a 70,000 a year job at, at, you know, company X, uh, um, as a computer scientist, but they're gonna be equipped with the organizational change, social justice, uh, human influence, uh, basically change agent skills that allow them to not only build careers for themselves, but to go in and start having impact in these systems. You know, for me, success is not that we put more black, brown, female, LGBTQ plus um, computer scientists into organization, that's progress, but that's not success. Success is 10 years from now, we have a significant representation of black, brown, female, and LGBTQ plus um, uh, uh, leaders in organizations and on boards of directors, right? And so what that requires is that people are not only competent on the technical side of their work, but they have the organizational and change management uh, uh, chops to be able to navigate that system as quickly as possible. Um, so, so that, that's, that's what we're trying to do here is, is build a system that can do that kind of, you know, talent pipeline Trojan horse work where we will give you the, the, you know, the tech person, uh, and, uh, you know, inside there's a change agent. Mm -hmm. So for, I mean, I think that part of our audience here for the podcast are people in Connecticut that are, see themselves as change agents or want mm. to be change agents and, and, and so forth. So I guess, um, what is a change agent in your mind? What is, you know, what's the, what's the stereotype of a change agent? What are the characteristics of it? Um, you know, who, how do you view change, uh, who a change agent is? Yeah. So, so to, to the, I mean, the, I've never heard of a, a better framework than than uh, uh, the one that Daryl Connor created. Uh, Daryl's one of the two living kind of authorities on change management. He teaches in our program. Used to teach in our program. He's um, slowed down the teaching these days. He's down in Atlanta, uh, so he hasn't taught with us in a few years. Um, but Daryl makes really important distinctions around a change agent, a change advocate, and a change sponsor. And people collapse these things and, and, and it becomes problematic. So a change sponsor is somebody in a system, whether that system is a community, uh, a governmental system or an organization that has the managerial authority to dedicate resources to the change, right? So they're gonna provide air cover and it is critical. Absent change sponsorship, change, actual transformative change in organizations just doesn't stick. And it can't be um, hollow sponsorship. It can't be the town hall meeting. It has to be, yes, we are dedicating resources. That, that's the currency of organization is resources. We are dedicating resources to this for a significant amount of time, right? So that's change sponsorship. Change advocacy is I see how things are. I see how things could be. And I'm not going to shut up about it until I find a proper sponsor, right? That's still not change agency. That's change advocacy. And it's critical. It's a critical, critical component, right? It's, it's, I have a vision for what it could be. I don't know how to get there. I, I, I you know, um, but I am not going to shut up. I'm going to use a, a political capital and communication finesse and whatever else I have to to get this on the radar of an appropriate sponsor who can allocate resources to this change that needs to happen. Then the third role is change agent, right? So the change agent is somebody who's actually skilled, actually has the competence, tools, frameworks to engage in the work of shifting uh, uh, organizational hierarchical systems. Again, whether that's a community, a government, or a uh, an organization. And so I see people, you know, a lot through through no ill will, but 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 doing change advocacy work and calling themselves change agents and doing change agency work and having no clue about the criticality of sponsorship. And you know, uh, so all three of these things need to be in place 
in 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 order for systemic change to have a shot. And and I'd encourage you know again anyone who's listening. Um, Daryl has been very, very good about open sourcing his work. So if you just Google Daryl Connor, he's got a 20 year blog at this point where there are probably the equivalent of seven or eight books that are literally gospel on, on the discipline of change management. And so you can find lots of much more thorough write-ups on change agency, change advocacy, and, um, change sponsorship. I I've never heard that before, um, but it makes complete sense. And it makes complete sense because um, there's been times where I, I've been in, I think every one of those roles, or at least I think I have. Uh, and, and also the way you've said it at sometimes I was just an advocate or just a sponsor, not necessarily the agent. Right. Um, and so I guess, I mean, you would say that, uh, or would you say uh, that you need all three of those roles uh, at, at all times within an ecosystem. And then you should, you know, you can play those each one of those roles in different aspects of your life. Right. I mean, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, the advocate is the only one where, you know, once sponsorship is secured, advocacy becomes less critical, right. Once, once someone in the hierarchy that has uh, the actual authority to allocate resources is truly on board, like truly on board. And Daryl's got a great, you know, again, volumes on, uh, really, really gauging whether a sponsor is truly on board. Um, but once a sponsor is truly on board, the advocacy becomes not, not necessary anymore because again, the system is on board. Right. Um, but sponsorship and agency are, yes, both of those are absolutely critical. And and you see this in organizations all the time. Uh, you know, the senior executive, yes, we are doing this. This is mission critical. We're allocating resources. There's change agents in place. And then nine months later, somebody is, whoa, we just came up with this cool new product and all the resources shift. Sponsorship is gone. But the thing is still trying to be done and the change agents are working feverishly, but there's no sponsorship. And the thing just peters off and peters off. And we've got, you know, decades now, my whole career uh, uh, stats from, from researchers, um, on the abysmal rates of failure of, of organizational change, of large-scale organizational change. It's something I do it or 70% of large-scale change fails. Uh, and one of the things that happens is, it, is it's unreliable sponsorship, right? Um, or inept change, age, uh, uh, change agency. So yeah, both of those are absolutely critical. Advocacy is critical until the thing gets a proper sponsor. And the sponsorship thing, we see it in education too, right? At the higher ed uh, side, because mm-hmm. there's sometimes you have yep. presidents and deans that are only there for three to five to seven years um, and strategic plans yep. change. So um, it's, it's, it's something where you can see the cycles happening in, in other uh, facets of, of, our, uh, of our life. Now, I guess, do you think like, in, are you posi- uh, uh, optimistic or pessimistic in the viewpoint of the last year and a half kind of in, um, uh, ingraining the sponsorship in these in these organizations because you have had a lot of organizations that have said you know we are going to be doing you know uh, um, you know bringing more uh, people of color onto our boards we're do, we're we're trying to get more people um, in underserved populations uh, the resources they need um, or do you think that's just the fact yes. just like and, the- and and we've 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 put an African American female into a new diversity role look. We did it, right? I, I, that's cynical, but but you see a lot of that, right? Uh, uh, to answer your question, Eric, here, here's a deal. I, I, I've used this phrase most of my career on on these types of issues, and I encourage you know uh, uh, students and 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 clients um, to take on this kind of attitude on the things that actually matter to them. Uh, so, on things that actually matter to me, like this topic, I do not give a shit if the glass is half full or half empty. I'm too busy digging wells. You get that? All right. I, I'm uninterested in the conversation about how good or bad things are. I'm uninterested in the conversation about optimism or pessimism. I'm using all the time I got to dig wells. All right. Now, right. I, 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 uh, I appreciate that. I really do. Um, and, and we can, we can in, in terms of digging wells, well, you know, how, how can somebody uh, um, help you on your journey or, or help or help New Haven on their journey on, on digging more wells for this, uh, for this? Yeah, so I, I think there are um, three things, right? So I, I, I've been on, are you familiar with Clubhouse, this new so social I, media? I, I was actually going to hopefully get an invite from you or somebody. I need to get an invite. Uh-huh. Thing, so you, you want <laughs> to, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I got, <laughs> I got some invites. A couple of your, uh, your, your like six hour long kind of conversations, which is, uh, but 
No, I have not. I have not been uh, invited to it yet. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk offline. I'll, I'll, I'll get you on. I've, I've been using it for a little while. Um, David actually put it on my radar, and then and then a, a, a friend, uh, uh, Donnell, um, uh, he's the one that got me uh, uh, an invite uh, for for my account. Um, so my point was, that, you know, on there, I've been having a lot of these conversations. I'm meeting, you know, uh, a lot of really good, thoughtful, committed people um, in the tech space, most of them out West, um, for obvious reasons, uh, who are committed to, to really shifting the uh, demographics on, on uh, computer science. The three things, uh, I mean, listen, we're a nonprofit, so, you know, uh, 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 not one of the three things, but always money, right? You got deep pockets, come, let, let, let's talk. Um, I'll, I'll, I promise you we'll put it to really good use. Um, but, but, but that part aside, the three things that really um, would be helpful is um, one is, is spreading the message. Um, so we are working kind of at a gra grassroots level, We're working like literally with libraries, uh, a couple other partnerships that I won't talk about because they're not consummated yet, but, but on the ground kind of groups. Um, because you know this sort of conversation with the people that we're wanting to have it with, you know, folks who just have just been, they've been left out of the 20th century economy, let alone the 21st century economy, right? It is a trust-based thing and, and, and they've been scammed and they've been, you know, whatever. Um, that's a whole nother show we could do about, about, about the kind of profiteering that goes on there. Regardless, uh, so, so, you know, like what what uh, uh, the NHIC has done for us uh, in in kind of opening up uh, relationships with people on the ground, working with these communities. Um, I'm very, very, very open to anybody who's willing to support us in in just bringing us into uh, underserved communities in a way that respects the community and doesn't have us be something just coming in from the outside and saying, "Hey, we're going to solve all your problems," because that's not the approach we're trying to take, right? Uh, the second thing I'm acutely, uh, um, we don't need this one, but I'm, I'm constantly looking for um, is, is mentors. Uh, you know, one of the real critical things is, you know, it's one thing that I can give you uh, an education and change agency skills, uh, an education in tech and, and, you know, some support in finding a job, but navigating the career, navigating the things that maybe no one in your family has ever had to deal with. I had a student, um, you know, one, one of my all-time favorite students. Um, I've had a lot of them uh, over at UNH, uh, a lot of favorites, that is. Um, but this young man, you know, first generation to go to grad school, I think first generation to go to, to, go to undergrad. Um, and he lands in Colorado after graduating and... Um, gets this amazing job as a senior, as an HR analyst, and now he's a senior HR analyst. Um, and we stay in touch and he calls me three months after he gets the job and he says, uh, hey, bot, and so he calls me bot, hey, bot, listen, I, I got all this paperwork thrown on me, like 401ks and all this stuff. And I was like, my people don't know 401ks and all this, like, you know, I need you to give me the white people uh, orientation tour, right? Now, it broke my heart, not that uh, 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 he didn't know how to do that stuff. I didn't know how to do that stuff, right? Nobody taught me. Um, what, what, what broke my heart is the kind of assumption, the background assumption I think we have that, you know, 401ks are white. Um, you know, that's who it's for. That's a whole other conversation. But, 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 but that call, right? I need mentors for that call, like to help people orient to how to be how to just deal with the kind of ambiguity and uh, uh, the, you know, the navigation that's required in that first couple, three years in the workplace, right? We, we can do it, but there's only so much of that we can do at scale. So I'm constantly looking for mentors to, to support our students and particularly after they land, uh, uh, support them. Um, and then the third thing is a, is a big one is I, I and I, I can't imagine anybody out there is gonna be able to help you with it, but who knows, is I, I really, would love for corporations and mid-sized companies to understand that they can't just buy the tomatoes. They have to help with the garden. We, you know, what I mean by that is that a lot of the responses we get is, yes, absolutely, we, we wanna buy you know, uh, as many 
uh, uh, locally grown, uh, sustainably grown, uh, organic tomatoes as possible. We believe in that. And when I go to them and say, yes, absolutely, but you realize we have an issue with the quality of the soil and we have an issue with, with you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're like, yeah, yeah, no, that sounds like a, a really tough problem. Let us know when the tomato's ready because we absolutely want to support by buying tomatoes, right? So I need the corporations, I need to continue to figure out how to get the corporations to understand that they need to have a 10-year view on this, that it's appreciated deeply that they want to hire diverse talent, but they need to take stewardship of, of the 10-year window and, and start helping out on cultivating the soil so that this problem doesn't just become a, continue to be a perennial problem, right? So those, those are the three things. Coming from being in farming, I love how so many people can use farming as an analogy for uh, <laughs> what they're doing. Um, and, and you're right, because they do need to help, uh, you know, till the soil, they need to kind of uh, uh, bring more nutrients into it and, and plant the seeds. They need to be a part of that whole process, right? They, can, they yeah. can't harvest the fruits. So um, I'm hoping that uh, there's some people that are listening to this podcast that can help out. Uh, I think there's a, a decent amount that are would probably uh, fall into your mentor uh, category. Mm. Um, I do agree that even, I, I mean, I've struggled with that when I, uh, earlier on uh, in my mm. career, still to this day, I, I still reach out to, to people uh, to kind of <laughs> give me the basics of, of uh, you know, kind of uh, the career. Um, yep. So it's not, I think everybody is, uh, uh, can use that. And uh, there's some that that just need it more than others. And a, a little can go yeah. along way. So, um, yep. Well, Al, I know I know we can talk for hours. I do. Uh, I really yeah. do appreciate your your candidness. Um, I have uh, have enjoyed uh, getting to know you a little bit more this uh, this year, and uh, hopefully uh, throughout the the remainder of uh, or you know going forward, we can have more conversations, and you can uh, enlighten me with uh, with your your different frameworks, which uh, you yeah. Thank you, Eric. Listen, I, I've genuinely appreciated uh, getting know, to know you as well. You are, you are. Um, I, I seem to attract this a little bit, and, and I think it's 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 part of the ways that the universe pays me back. I attract a lot of menches, and and you are clearly a mensch. You know, for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, you look that up, right? But but uh, you're genuinely a mensch, Eric, and so I, I've I've appreciated knowing you as well. You know, until the next time uh, we uh, we meet again, um, you know, I appreciate it and uh, continue doing the great work that you do. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. See you next week.